The scripture reading today is from Genesis 12, 1 through 9. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country to your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hill east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We're going to start our story today in the year 1700. And that's the year that a man by the name of Abraham, or I'm sorry, by Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf was born in Germany to a wealthy noble family. You know, after graduating from the university, he took a tour of Europe, like many students do today. And back then, if you were noble and wealthy, you traveled around Europe. And while on this tour, he was visiting different European countries and European cities, and he stopped off in the town of Dusseldorf, Germany, to visit a museum there. While in that museum, he happened upon a painting by an Italian artist who had painted a portrait of Christ entitled, Behold the Man. This was a picture of Christ with a crown of thorns on his head with blood dripping down his face. And underneath the painting, in Latin, was this inscription. I have done all this for you. What have you done for me? From that moment on, Zinzendorf's whole life changed. He later said to himself that I had loved Christ for a long time, but I have never actually done anything for him. From now on, I will do whatever he calls me to do. While in that museum, Zinzendorf had a life-changing encounter with the living God. And in a similar way, Abram, in Genesis 12, Genesis 12, has a life-changing encounter with the God of heaven and earth that changes his entire trajectory of where he's going. But before we jump into this text, I want to give two quick points of clarity, um, just to help you understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. But first, I'm going to be referring to Abram as Abraham. I, we read this text in Genesis 12. Probably nobody thinks of Abraham as Abram. So the reason for that is because a few chapters later, uh, 
God comes to Abraham, makes a covenant with him, and changes his name. Abram means exalted father, but God changes his name to Abraham, which, is, which means father of many or father of nations. All right, it, again, that change of name points back, this is chapter 17, so it points back to chapter 12, um, to the promises that we just read in Genesis 12. And that, secondly, that's what I want you to see. So in Genesis 12, there are, depending on how you break it up, there are four or five I will promises that are made to Abraham. And he's promised land, he's promised posterity, he's promised greatness, and he's promised blessing. And these promises were first thought to be filled in the nation of Israel, fulfilled in the nation of Israel. But we know from the New Testament that these promises were ultimately and finally fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Now, these promises are fantastic, and I would love to, t at some time, take a tour of how these promises unfold throughout Scripture. Because um, it's like a river, and you can find it throughout the entire Old Testament coming into the New Testament. But that's not my purpose today. It's a long way of telling you that's not my purpose today. My purpose today is not to focus on the promises, but rather on two points. First, I want to look at the calling of Abraham. And secondly, I want to look at the purpose of the promises. That is, why were the, what was the... The, out, the outcome, the outflow of those purposes to Abraham. You know, my NIV Bible, or Genesis 12 starts with this command to Abraham to go. And my NIV Bible, my ESV Bible, doesn't really do this command justice. You know, I like the old King James Version, our translation of this passage. It states, get ye out, or get out, get going, move it. Um, that's the command being given to Abraham in Genesis 12.1. Now, God wants Abraham to get out of the city of Haran and get to Canaan as quickly as possible. We didn't read this, but in chapter 11, God had already called Abraham's family, his father and his extended family, to go from Ur, um, way over sort of in far parts of Iraq and maybe even Iran, um, to go from Ur to Canaan, that is modern-day Israel. But for whatever reason, the text doesn't tell us. In chapter 11, they start out for Canaan, but they stop in Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, it doesn't make any sense why they stopped in Haran, because when you look at the map, Haran's, you have to go to the north, Canaan's to the south. But for some reason, they end up Haran, in Haran, and then God comes back to Abraham and says, look, you need to get yourself down here. Um, these are the promises I'm giving you. Get yourself down to Canaan. So finally, Abraham gets this message, and he gathers up his family, he gathers up his possessions, he gathers all of his servants, uh, his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and they head to Canaan. You know, it may not seem like it to us, but I think that the real, the, this is really an act of radical obedience on the part of Abraham. Look at what God is asking him to give up. He tells Abraham to leave his country, to leave his city, and to leave his extended family. Basically, he is giving up his safety, his security, and his comfort. Put yourself in his place for a moment. Would you give up your security and safety and comfort? How easy would that come to you? It doesn't come easy to me. Would you move away from New York City to a provincial town where nobody knew you and everyone spoke a different language? Would you be willing to do that? Some of you have done that, so I wouldn't call New York City provincial, but, you know, <laughs> at all. But that's what Abraham was called to do, and that's what he did. And my, the thing is, my guess is that most of us would struggle with moving anywhere that risks our safety, 
or our security, regardless of the potential benefits we might gain. So why would Abraham take such a big risk and leave just about everything behind? You know, he had a comfortable life. Like I said, he had money, he had success, he had family. And by his standards of his day, he was a very, very wealthy man. Maybe you're thinking that he went because of the promises we just read in Genesis 12. Possibly, right? But the promises are pretty vague in Genesis 12 when we first read them. They haven't been fleshed out yet. They're just, go and do this, here's the promises um, for you. And, And don't forget, the text tells us that Abraham was 75 years old and he didn't have any children. And then three chapters later, he will complain to God about the fact that he's childless. Because all these promises, if you notice them, they're based on what? They're based on him having children, having descendants. And so Abraham's complaining to God, and God tells him um, in chapter 15 to look up the stars. So in the night sky, Abraham looks up, and you can imagine with no streetlights, nothing else, he looks up, and there are thousands upon thousands of stars in the night sky. And God says to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. And the text goes on to say that Abraham believed in the Lord and it credited it to him as righteousness. Look, the point here is that Abraham left for Canaan without any certainty that the promises would be fulfilled. And we know from scripture that he never actually saw the fulfillment of these promises in his lifetime. I believe what sends Abraham out of Haran is this encounter with the true God. In verse one, he encountered the glory and majesty of God in such a way that it moved him out of a place of comfort and security to a place of faith. Scripture is full of examples of people who've encountered God or who knew God and who later encounter God in a new way that moves them to do something that they would never have dreamed of doing or thought of doing. Now think of Moses in Exodus three. He met God in the burning bush and he's overwhelmed by God's glory. He's then sent back by God to the place he had fled in fear for his life to face the greatest king on the earth with a simple promise that God would go with him. And we know the rest of the story. God goes with with, um, Moses and leads the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Or let's take the apostles. After spending three years with Jesus, they ran away and hid after the crucifixion. Soon after the resurrection, they are again face to face with Jesus. And Jesus commissioned them in Matthew 28. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's interesting to note that the go in Matthew 28 isn't the command. The command in Matthew 28 isn't to go, but the command is to make disciples. In essence, Jesus said, as to the disciples, as you go about your life, be making disciples, make disciples. So this face-to-face encounter with Jesus called the apostles on a mission to proclaim the fame and name of Jesus to the Roman world, to the entire known world at that time. You know, a number of years ago, and this has probably been five or six years, so these numbers aren't all up to date now, but a number of years ago, I heard this story about a woman named Katie. Um, Katie Davis was 18 years old, and in 2006, when she visited Uganda for the first time, she was so captivated by the people in the culture that she wanted to return to Uganda as a kindergarten teacher um, to teach these kids in this orphanage. Now, you have to understand, Katie hadn't graduated from high school. She graduated high school and then goes to Uganda as an 18-year-old or 19-year-old against the advice of just about everyone in her life. 
Her parents said, you know, Katie, you need to wait, finish college first. That's a smart, wise thing, safe thing to do. Her, all of her friends said, you're wasting your life. You're throwing your life away by doing this. But of course, Katie did go on to Uganda and did begin working in this orphanage. And one day as she was taking the kids home, uh, they, these were kindergartners, so they didn't go to a whole, whole day of school. Um, she was taking the kids home along the street, a dirt road, and she began noticing, why are there so many kids out in the streets? Why are there kids here playing in the dirt? There's other kids doing chores like washing the family's dishes. Um, and this just really began to shock her. What are these children doing here? Why aren't they in school? And as she was wondering these things over the years, she began to find out, or after about six months, she began to find out that the reason there's so many kids in the street is that in Uganda, you had to pay a fee to go to school, which meant that it was nearly impossible for impoverished families to send their children to school. That's why the kids were just out on the street. God led Katie to start an education sponsorship outreach that matched orphan and vulnerable children with sponsors here in the US and around the world. Within a year or two, Katie had 150 children signed up as part of this program. Today, what, 10 years, 15 years later, today, this program sponsors over 700 children to get these children into school so that they have some kind of education. Now, this is what Katie says about herself. People tell me I'm brave. People tell me I'm strong. People tell me, good job. Well, here's the truth. I'm not really that brave, and I'm not really that strong, and I'm not really doing anything spectacular. I'm just doing what God called me to do as a follower of him. Feed his sheep. Take care of his people. If you've encountered the risen Christ like Katie, then the trajectory of your life has already changed. The reason for that is that you have a new calling, a new mission that involves bringing glory to God. Each of us, of course, has a specific calling, right? Some of us are doctors, some of us are finance people, some of us are mechanics, some of us are stay-at-home moms or dads, um, and that's our calling, and we use that calling, of course, to bring glory to God. But we all have another calling that I think sometimes, as Christians, we don't like to hear, um, and that's a general calling. And that means, when I mean that, is that every Christian has this calling. Regardless of your spiritual gifts, regardless of your gifting in general, every Christian has this calling. And that's to declare the majesty and name of Jesus, to make disciples of the nations. Now, I know some of you out there are probably going, mm, I don't like that. I don't want to hear that. I've, and I've heard this over the years. Um, so if you want to talk to me about it later, you can. Please feel free. But you do have a general calling as a Christian to declare the name of Jesus. In word and in actions. And that's, and please, please hear me here. I don't mean just sharing the gospel with your neighbors. Yes, of course, do that. Be doing that. But the calling on our lives goes beyond just words to acts of service, acts of love, issues of justice, issues of mercy, where we bring the gospel into play in the world that we, that we live in right now that has rejected that. We bring that message of Christ into play in every sphere that he has put us in. And in the spheres that we're not in, we begin to look for ways that we can have an impact, that the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he's done can begin to transform both our culture, our own lives, our own hearts, our own families, and our neighbors. You know, this is why Katie, as an 18-year-old or 19-year-old, her life changed, because she encountered the glory of God, the living God of Scripture. And it changed her and moved her out of her comfort and security 
to accomplish, to accomplish much more. You know, here's the key to these verses. We are not only called and sent out, but more specifically, we're called to be a blessing. We're called to be a blessing. The promised blessings of land and posterity God gave to Abraham came with a clearly connected purpose, right? That purpose to bless all the families or all the peoples of the earth. The promise to bless Abraham was given so that he would be a blessing to the nations. And verse 3 makes that clear in Genesis 12. It says all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. That, of course, begs the question, right? How does God then intend to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham? How does God plan to do that? So from the very beginning of Abraham's encounter with God, God began to work out the purpose of the promises to bless the peoples and families of this earth. We see this first in Genesis 14, when Abraham rescues his nephew Lot from some city-state kings. In the process, God's name is proclaimed to the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Later, when God delivered Israel, who was the promised posterity of Abraham, from Egypt, right? So God delivers him from Egypt. It was not just to bring Israel out of, the, out of Egypt to the promised land. It was also to declare his name and glory to the nations. We see this in Exodus 9. Speaking to Pharaoh, God says, For this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. When King Solomon dedicated the temple in 1 Kings 8, we are told that the temple was built not just for Israel, but, that so, but so that all the peoples on the earth may know and worship the living God. Now, of course, eventually a problem arose in Israel. Israel forgot the purpose of the promises. They remembered the promises, right? They, they bought into the fact, yes, we're the favored nation of God, um, but they forgot the purpose of what they were called to do. And that it was to bless the nations as the descendants of Abraham. You know, there's a story in scripture, a story in the Bible that summarizes Israel's attitude. And my guess is you all know it. It's the story of Jonah, the prophet Jonah. And if you may remember, God called Jonah to go down to the city of Nineveh, this evil city, uh, to preach against it, to preach its dis um, this destruction. Well, Jonah, being a prophet of God, knew that God was a gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah really hated the Ninevites. He wanted nothing to do with the Ninevites. He certainly didn't want to go preach to them about their destruction because he was afraid that they would repent and God would, would relent. So what does Jonah do? You remember, right? He flees to the coast. He boards a boat, gets into all kinds of trouble, and ends up in the belly of a fish, of a large fish. God then comes, of course, and rescues him and sends them right back to Nineveh. It says, go down to Nineveh, Jonah, pre Jonah preached their destruction. And the thing is, Jonah goes and he preaches against Nineveh for their evil deeds, for their sin. And when you look at Jonah, the text says, the great, from the least to the greatest, repented and believed in God. Now, do you remember how Jonah responded to God's grace toward the Ninevites? The text says that Jonah was exceedingly angry with God. He was irate with God for not destroying Nineveh. It's clear, at least, that the prophet had forgotten the purpose of the promises made to Abraham, that they were to be a blessing to the nations, even to those who were your enemies. 
You know, by the time we arrived to Jesus and the apostles, Israel, of course, was no longer looking to proclaim blessing to the nations, as I mentioned. Instead, they themselves saw themselves as the favored status of God, and that sort of colored everything else. They only saw that, and they looked at their surrounding nations, Rome, the other countries around them, particularly Rome, and, Rome, and wanted nothing more than Rome's destruction. But after spending a few years with Jesus, the apostles began to rediscover, rediscover the purpose of the blessings promised to Abraham. And this is seen most clearly in Peter's second sermon after Pentecost in Acts 3. Peter quoted to the crowd saying, and the crowd is primarily Jewish people, but he quoted to the crowd saying, through Abraham's offspring, all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Which is the purpose statement that God had originally made to Abraham. Peter goes on to say to this crowd that God sent Jesus as the descendant of Abraham to bless the families of the earth. That Jesus is the fulfillment of these original promises to Abraham. Now the, the apostles finally had grasped the purpose of Jesus coming. So much so that within 200 years after the apostles Roman writers would declare that the whole world had gone over to Christ. Rodney William Stark was a uh, sociologist of religion at the University of Washington. I believe he's retired. I think he's still alive, though he's up there in age. Um, in 1996, um, he wrote a book titled The Rise of Christianity. In this book, he identified four reasons why Christianity expanded so quickly in those first few hundred years. And according to Stark, Christianity expanded quickly because of social networks between families, friends, and colleagues, by caring for widows, the orphans, orphans and sick, because of its stance against infanticide, adultery, and abortion, and lastly, because of its theology of love, which came out in its care of women and children. I'm going to wrap this up with a long application, so bear with me. If you belong to Christ... If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you must be willing at least to consider to get out of your comfort zone, to move out of this area of feeling secure and safe and making that our idol or making that our God. You're called to risk. You're called to sacrifice. You're called to give of yourself, both to this body and to the larger city as well. In order to bless the nations, to bless our neighbor, I'm sorry, you're, you're called to risk and to sacrifice in order to bless our neighbors and to bless the city. The New Testament puts it like this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, right? You've heard this verse before. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are his earthly representatives to bless the nations, to bless our neighbors, to bless the city. That's our calling. That's our general calling. And everyone in this room has that calling. Now, I understand during a period of transition or just even during any kind of change or difficulty that we may be tempted as the body of Christ to turn inward. That is to worry about, to focus in on ourselves, to focus, only be worried about our needs, what we need to accomplish or what we need to do or don't do, and not focus on this calling as the body of Christ to be a blessing to the nations. It's easy when we're struggling. It's easy when there's change to turn inward and want to sort of make our box ourselves in. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage us as the body of Christ not to do that. We have a great opportunity that our calling hasn't changed. There, things have changed, but our calling hasn't changed. Our God hasn't changed. And we're still called 
And God is still in heaven, and he is still reigning, and he is still ruling, and he's calling us still to engage with our community, to engage with our neighbors. Not to turn inward, not to, not to worry, not to get scared, and sort of isolate ourselves. I understand it might feel even, even safe to do that, but that's not what we're, we're called to do. And I think it's a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have short, term, short memories, and we often forget what God has done for us in the moment, but also two weeks ago, or last year. We forget who he is, um, and how he's impacted and already changed our lives, because we become worried or caught up in the moment. And I don't want us to be worried and caught up in the moment. I want us to trust, as Abraham did, in faith to the God of heaven and earth, who's called us as his children to impact the world around us. You remember Zinzendorf from the beginning of the story, or the beginning of, that's the story, right? Beginning of the sermon. After encountering the glory and majesty of God, he began a Christian community called Hernhut, which means the Lord's Watch, and it would later sort of become the spiritual beginnings of the Moravian church. They began a prayer watch that would last for 100 years, unbroken, with people from the community taking one-hour movement so that someone was praying 24-7. That's, that's a pretty big deal. This was a small group of committed, sacrificial Christians who had encountered the living God and wanted to bless the nations. So they began sending missionaries to unreached places around the world. Keep in mind, these were not trained professionals. They were simply men who had a skill and were willing to step out of their comfort, out of their security, to declare the glory and fame of Jesus. Over the course of 65 years, this group sent 300 missionaries to places like Greenland, never would have thought of going to Greenland, but Greenland, the West Indies, Turkey, and even America, even the United States. They planned and settled the town of Bethlehem in Pennsylvania. They were instrumental in taking the gospel message to American Indians when most only saw the Indians as a nuisance to be dealt with. The first two missionaries to go out from this group wanted to go to the West Indies to reach African slaves. These two men were willing and desired to be sold into slavery. However, because they were white, it was against the law for them to be sold into slavery. So they went as a craftsman and a carpenter. The story goes that when these first two young missionaries boarded the ship in Copenhagen to sail for the West Indies, perhaps never to return because 20 of the first 29 missionaries to go to St. Croix, St. Lucie died within the first couple of years. These two men lifted up their hands on their ship to their friends on the shore and called out saying, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What's the, what is the reward of the suffering Jesus? The blessing of the nations. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to those near and far. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are grateful that you've called us. We're grateful that you've equipped us, you've called us, but you've also equipped us with your spirit and your word that we might be a blessing, that we might proclaim the name of Jesus, not just in our words, but in our actions, in our issues of justice and mercy in the city, that we might be involved Pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen this body to be committed to the tasks you've called us, even in the midst of change. That we would be reminded that you have not changed, that you're still the God of heaven and earth, and that calling for us has not changed. Lord, fill us with your spirit this morning. Fill us with your presence. 
even now as we prepare for communion. In Jesus' name, amen.